but uh, but Robert uh, is a writer. He uh, he's been blessed, uh, man with incredible giftings uh, in writing. In fact, we have a book table back there. Just some of the things he's written. The most one of the most recent things he's done is that uh, the I can only imagine movie that is out. Bart Millard did his biography with that, and uh, Robert uh, uh, wrote that along with Bart Millard to uh, to write that. So if you pick that up, you see Robert's name. Uh, on that, but Robert has got many books out there. So what I wanted to do is uh, I've got a couple of, uh, of them. The other thing is is that Robert has been, uh, been able to connect with some of the faith-based movies, and they've done devotional books with them. This is from God's Not Dead 2. Uh, today is April the 15th. Uh, it's uh, known as Tax Day around the world and uh, around the United States. But uh, I'm curious, who who has a birthday today on April 15th? Anybody? Kelly, you do? Are you serious? Come here. I'm giving you a book, Kelly. Man. How old are you today, Kelly? No, I don't know. 58. Are you 58 today? What's that? Okay. All right. Come on up. Give you a book. Hey, y'all bless Kelly. All right. So it's not 58 for you. All right. What's what? What's birth? 17. All right. Very good. Thank you. You got a book. Bless you, man. All right. So um, those are those are just a couple of the books. I felt like that would be good to give those out. But uh, I'm excited. Robert's been able to spend a few days with us. We are friends that go back. 35 years uh, when when we were on staff at First Baptist Church in Stephenville, we became friends, and man, we pick it up right where we left off, so it's always good to have those kind of friendships in life. I hope you have them. If not, I hope God will give them to you for sure. Would y'all welcome Robert Nolan? All right. Yeah, we've uh, we've known each other for a long time, and I've been here over the years a few times. But I a vivid memory that my wife and I have is sitting in the the second row of the children's home here in Round Rock when you first started the very first church. Uh, that goes way back. How, if any were anybody in that church that started in the children's home, a couple of people. That's great. Yeah. So and you're you're only 17. That's great. I don't know how that worked out, but that's really good. Uh, yeah, we've uh, we've known each other a long time. It all started with when uh, Mark and Pam came to First Baptist Stephenville, and I was actually the custodian of the church. And I, and I want to point out the fact that I've been a custodian of a church, and I've been a pastor of a church. And the difference in the being a custodian and the pastor is it's easier to clean up the message if you're the custodian. Okay. Some of you got that. Some of you are having to explain it to your friends, but... That's all right. Uh, but anyway, I would I would go over to Mark and Pam's house. I was single at the time uh, and hadn't met my wife yet. And I'd go over to their house and they'd have to tell me to leave because I just loved hanging out at their house so much. So, they, Robert, don't you have a place to go to? I, well, I used to. I'm not sure I stay over here all the time now. But anyway, and then I eventually met my wife uh, and uh, we got married. And we've been married 33 years and have two adult sons. So, yeah, it's been a long, great journey. Uh, I do. I'm going to start this service the same way I started the first service, and first to say I have good news and I have bad news this morning. If if you're uh, if, if the good news is if you're visiting today for the first time, I am not the pastor. 
as Mark has made clear. So that's the good news. So if you don't like me, if you don't like this message, I'm not the pastor. So that's good. The bad news is if you're visiting, that means next week you're going to have to come back to see what this is really like. Because Mark's going to be speaking or some one of the other pastors. And so you're going to need to come back. But let me just get rid of the visiting thing right now for you. Okay, If you're visiting churches, this is an incredible place. I've been, a, I've, I've been a part of Mark and Pam's life and seen their ministry, and I know a lot of you folks here, and I've got to see Ed, wherever Ed is, um, known him for many, many years. This is an incredible place, a very special place, and it, it's, it, the staff loves people, and this is a place of prayer. And so if you want to feel like home, if you want to have a place that you can minister and be ministered to, just stop searching, just stop your visiting, like this is the place. So I won't be here next week, but I'm telling you, you should come back, all right? Okay. Um, being in ministry for a really long time and have been a pastor, uh, one of the things that people, not just Christians, but people in general, one of the main questions that they always ask is, why am I here? And I don't know that there's necessarily this magic time for people when you reach a certain age as you go, oh, I know why I'm here. I think it's a constant question that we all ask. I think it starts being asked sometime around adolescence and, and it continues on. And some people figure it out. And sadly, some people never really do. As Christians, we have the answer to why am I here uh, made clear for us throughout Scripture. And that's part of what we're going to talk about today. But, but I want to, I want to, to encourage you to think about why am I here? And not why am I sitting here today, but why am I here on the earth at all? Because, think about this for a moment. Here's what we believe as Christians. And if you're visiting and you don't know the Lord yet, or you're just checking this whole Jesus thing out, well, you're in this too. So think about this. So, you... Hear the gospel, and you say, okay, I realize that, I, that I'm a sinner. There are things in my life that aren't right. I get this. I understand what Jesus offers me. He says that I'll come into your heart, and I'll come into your life, and I'll change things, and I'll also give you a home in heaven. So you say yes to that. Yes, Jesus, I, I want that. So, so you agree to that. So now you have a home in heaven, all right, because Jesus has promised you that, and you believe that. But he hands you the keys to your home in heaven when you when you accept Christ you don't lose those you get to keep them but he says but I'm not taking you right now I'm going to leave you here for a while and you don't know how long you're going to get to be here something you know some people live very short lives some people live really really long lives but we have no guarantees of how long it's going to be God knows we don't he makes that decision so what that tells us is just logical people whether you know scripture or not is you say, if, if, if I have a home in heaven that I've been promised, but I've been left here in the meantime, there must be a purpose for why I'm on this earth. We don't just clock in and buy time until we get to go to heaven. There's a purpose and there's a reason for it. And I think if there's ever been a day in the American church culture where we're getting confused about that, what that is, it's certainly today. And our culture has a lot to do with that. But I want to um, share a brief testimony with you that I started asking the question once again, why am I here? And I believe there are seasons in our life where we go through, we know, okay, God has me here doing this for this season, for this time. But the, but the thing we've got to watch out for is whenever we stop asking why am I here and we assume why we're here. And sometimes that changes and God is Lord. He has the opportunity to tell us when that season changes, and sometimes we've got to be listening. So, I am, it's, it's uh, 2008, 2009-ish, 
I am turned 50 years old. I've been working for a parachurch ministry for 20 years at that point and running that. Uh, we, we have a church that I'm the pastor. I'm a lay pastor. So I'm, I'm doing the working at the ministry full time during the week. I'm, I'm lay pastoring the church and I'm there on Sundays. My family's happy. My wife's happy. My boss with the ministry is happy. The board of directors is happy. The church is happy. Everybody's good with Robert and what Robert's doing. And I was making a good living. And I got a paycheck, uh, a paycheck twice a month, no matter what I did. So that, you know, I just, whether I'm busting it or I'm sloughing off, the paycheck shows up twice a month. And so everybody's good, everybody's happy. And then all of a sudden this happens. Hey, Robert, uh, this is the Lord. I'm not happy. Now, it's not that I'm not happy with you. Because you're my son. But I'm not happy with where you are. And so I began to pray about that. I began to ask God, what are you trying to tell me? What's going on? Because everybody else is good with this. Why aren't you? And this is what he told me, very, very clear. He said, Robert, you're coasting. And I didn't build you to coast. So I asked him, this is a good thing to do with God. I know what that means, but what do you mean? Because very often his meaning will be different than ours because we make assumptions. And he said this. When you put your car into neutral and let it coast, you can rev the gas all day long and make the engine sound really good like you're moving, you're going somewhere, but the brakes work great. And that's what you're doing. You're revving your engine and everybody hears it and they think you're moving, but you can stop anytime you want, but you are coasting. So I began to ask God, what do you want to do? What does this mean? What, what's, what needs to happen next? So over a period of about a year, what began to occur is, is in praying and asking the Lord, and our family was seeking the Lord, we felt like it was time for me to resign the secure, safe job that I've been doing for 20 years, that, ever, that my boss would thought we would die together. We were supposed to leave the church. We were supposed to leave our town. We were supposed to go to a brand new place, which he called us. We get the whole Abraham story now. And... We're supposed to go to a new place with our family and start over. And I was going to start my own ministry, and I was supposed to let God sign my paychecks. Meaning, there wasn't going to be anybody ship me my check twice a month. And so we agreed to that and launched out, cut the strings, cut everything. Now, you can tell a story like that, and you can, I can even tell you that, that some incredibly hard things that occurred in that season. I can tell you some great things that occurred in that season. And I get when Mark gets up here and talks about my resume. To some of you, it may sound good. To some of you, it may be boring. But regardless, what it is, is, is we hear that. But what I want to say is what we decided to do is not anything about us. It's not anything about me. But the important thing we've got to understand is it is vital if Jesus is really going to be Lord of our lives, that we are continually keeping ourselves in an uncomfortable place so that we can hear what God is trying to say to us. Because as American Christians, as Western Christians, very often what we think the gospel means is, I want to be safe and secure. And God, please make me safe and secure. And one of the things about the gospel is it is uncomfortable. And it needs to stay uncomfortable. And when we start getting comfortable in our Christian faith, in our Christian walk, 
there's always going to be trouble on some level. Because because the whole Christian, look at Jesus' life. Was there anything comfortable? He even looked at people and goes, hey, I'm not going to have know where I'm laying my head tonight. You in for that? And most of us Americans go, uh-uh, five-star hotel or I ain't going. Oh, we don't get to take the credit card? Eee, I don't know about that. See? But, but, but the gospel means it's going to be uncomfortable. It's not always going to be, it's, it's abundant, it's not always comfortable. So, I share my testimony with you to say, don't focus on what happened, what God did in my life, but to encourage all of us to say it is worthwhile going to God on a periodic basis and saying, Lord, I'm going to lay everything on the table. One of the things that I literally sense God saying to me during that season is he said, he goes, son, I want to empty your pockets out on the table. And again, I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, your, your job, your relationships, every ministry you're part of, everything you think is you, I want you to take it out of your pockets. I want you to lay it on the table. And you empty your pockets on the table in front of me, son. And then here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you what you're going to put back in your pocket, and I'm going to tell you what I'm going to keep. And, and the only thing I got back was him. And everything else went. And I can tell you right now, when God tells you to empty your pockets, just do it. Because it may not be easy, but it's going to be best. And God always has our best in mind, even when we aren't sure he's going to do that. He's a good, good father, just like the song we sing says. And he only gives good gifts. And so he's going to give back far more than we can ask or imagine every single time. I'm going to walk through uh, now a little bit of 2 Corinthians 5. And this is one of my favorite chapters in this uh, in Paul's letters. And we're going to stop and talk about this a little bit. So I'm not just going to read through it. I'm going to kind of stop and start with it, all right? So we're going to start at, at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, second sentence. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Now, let's get really practical and let's talk about what this actually means. What is Paul saying here? What he's saying is, if you're going to say yes to Jesus and you're going to take his abundant life, and you're going to take all of his resources and you're going to take the keys to the home in heaven, that's great. You can do that. Trade-off is this. Your life is no longer going to be your own. It's going to be his. You're going to let him control it. You're going to let him be Lord. You're going to let, and and, as, and as, as Americans, what we tend to do is go, what am I okay with Jesus having? I'm okay to give him the things that I'm okay for him to have, but there's some stuff in my life that I don't want him to touch. And we all go through that. And we know, there's some of you can stand up and give a lot of testimonies about things that you wouldn't let go of that Jesus was trying to get you to let go because it wasn't good for you. And he had to take it from you. And those are some of the hardest things to do. But again, he does that because he's a good father. But what we have to understand is that we've got to understand, and what Paul is teaching us here, is when we say yes to Jesus, then our lives are not our own. Okay? All right. Verse 16, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. 
At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Okay. So we no longer evaluate others from a human point of view. And even one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. What, what Paul is, is, is telling us there is once you know Jesus, he can give you a new set of eyes. He can give you a new set of ears. He can give you a brand new filter at which you're going to look at everything in life through. So what he's telling us is, is that you no longer will see Christ as you once saw him. Because when you're lost, there's all over the map is what we see Christ as. But once we come to know him, then we begin a real relationship with him. Then that's what we're focused on is the relationship with him. So we see him differently on the other side of faith. And then we're supposed to see others not through our own eyes and our own biases and the things we were taught growing up and all that, but we begin to see people through his eyes. What would happen in the United States of America is if, if the Christians that claim to be Christians began to see people through the eyes of Jesus. It would solve a lot of our ills in this nation if we would do that. That's what Paul's telling us to do. And then finally, one of the things he's encouraging us to do is he's saying, even see yourself from a different point of view. See yourself from a different point of view. Now think about the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You see God differently. You see others differently. You see yourself differently. It's even in the greatest commandment of how we're supposed to view the world through a different worldview on the other side of Christ than we do. So Paul's encouraging us to do that. I want to ask you a question. And I want inside for you to think about this one. If you're going to view your life as a Christian through a different filter than you once did, if you're going to see God and you're going to see people and you're going to see yourself differently, then I want to ask you a question. Do you allow God to interrupt your life? Does he have the right to come to you on Tuesday afternoon and go, hey, got something I need you to take care of? Thursday, it's lunch. You're tired from the morning. You just want to eat. I got something I need you to take care of. Do you allow the Lord to have that in your life? Do you allow him to interrupt your life with his business? And that's, that's really, really important for us to understand. Because what we're claiming when we, when we read through and understand the basis of the New Testament is He's giving us abundant life. He's giving us his resources. He's given us to the keys to the home in heaven. But he's saying to us, there's a lifestyle that we're going to adopt that's going to make us think, act, and believe, and feel, and see, and hear differently than you did before. And God has the right to come in and, to, and, and take charge and interrupt our lives with what he needs done. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person the old life is gone, and a new life has begun. Now, if one of your friends here at church tells you after church, hey, come out in the parking lot, and I want you to see my new car. And you're like, oh, cool, got a new car. Yeah, let's go out there and let's take a look at it. You go out in the car, and, they, and they're, they're really proud, point at the car, and you look at the car and you go, that's the same car you've been driving for years. You go, no, i got new tires. You're going to think, well, what are you smoking? You know, because you have new tires. You don't have a new car. No, I got a new car. Well, 
I want you to understand that analogy to see what Paul is saying here. He's not talking about we change. He's talking about we become a new person. We don't just change the tires on the car and call it new. It's a brand new vehicle that we're driving. So Jesus doesn't just change us. He makes us new. New eyes, new heart, new ears, new filter. Everything is given to us new from him. Sin is replaced. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Let me stop there. Everything so far has been about us, right? We've been talking about us as individual Christians, individual believers. But watch how Paul turns it suddenly, which Paul had an incredible ability to do. He lures you in with all this this deals with you. And then all of a sudden he goes, but this is what all this means. And in a sentence he turns it. And what he's talking about here is, but I have given, God has given us this task. Now, as always with the New Testament, he didn't say, you know what? If you get some time next week, God has a task for you. If, if you get a few minutes in a couple weeks, could you take a little time for this task that God has given for you? No, it says he has given us this task. It, we have it. Whether we recognize it or not, we have it. And it's reconciling people to him. Now, let me, let me think about this from just a practical, logical standpoint. God creates man, gives him free will, gives him free choice. Man decides to disobey God and go after his own desires. So man messes this whole thing up with sin by choosing sin against God. So then God decides, I'm going to redeem this and make it all right by sacrificing my son. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give the role, the task, the job of bringing the answer to this problem to the people who created it in the first place. Let me give you just a simple analogy for that. You work for a business likely of some sort. Let's just say that there's an employee that gets a little too much power, starts making some big-time mistakes, embezzling the books or whatever, and all of a sudden the company goes bankrupt because of this employee. And the owner says, okay. He gathers everybody together and goes, this dude here just took care of, just took us down the tubes, bankrupted us. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to restructure the entire company and make him the CEO. Okay? What God has done with us, think about this, folks, is we're the ones that messed it up. But he says, hey, Robert, listen. I know who you are. I know what your life is. I know the sin in your life. I'm giving you the opportunity to come to me. But once you come to me, I'm going to give you the task. I'm going to give you the role and the authority and the responsibility to take the answer that you found to the people who need it. That does, that's not logical. There's nothing logical about that. But this is God. He doesn't deal with things that way. But I want us to see it, not as, not as a strange anomaly, but I want us to see it as a privilege. And do we really see the gospel as a privilege that we get to take to people? Or a burden that our church puts on us? But, but it's a privilege. And this is what Paul's talking about here. Reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. 
So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. Now, think about that last verse for just a second. Please, Paul says, God has made you his partner in the gospel. You're not an employee. You're a partner. I'm begging you, don't accept this marvelous gift of being made a partner in the gospel and then ignore it. And then ignore it. Don't ignore it. For God says, at just the right time I heard you, on the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Now, let's, uh, let's talk for just a second about what an ambassador is. Because we use the word ambassador. Your version of scripture might be a little bit different. But this one uses ambassador. An ambassador of reconciliation. Now, again, it does not say once you become a Christian, you can opt out of this ambassador thing. It says you are. Now, you may be looking back at me and going, mm, no, I'm not that. Yes, you are. Scripture says you are. You are an ambassador. It's a matter of what responsibility you're taking and what you're doing with it. That's the question. Now, let's talk about what an ambassador is. An ambassador is someone that, that a, a president or a leader of a nation says, okay, I'm going to appoint you to go live here and represent me. So when you go to meetings, you're going to speak what I want you to say. You're going to do my agenda you're going to take care of my business as my representative for me in this nation. That's what an ambassador is. So what that means in Scripture is this. You may think that, that you chose the neighborhood that you live in or the apartment you live in, wherever you are. You may, you may think that you chose that based on the, the price and the economics and the school district and all the things we do to pick houses. I'm going to tell you there's a bigger, larger story to it. God planted you exactly where you are for you to be his ambassador of reconciliation in your neighborhood. Your job where you work, I don't care how much you love or don't like those people. He placed you at your job because you are his ambassador of reconciliation. Students, kids, it's not random whatever school you go to or whoever your friends are. You are an ambassador of reconciliation if you know Jesus. There is always a larger story going on. So what we have to look at, and I would even challenge some of you to do this, write down your circles of influence. And we get scared of that and we start thinking, well, I really don't have an influence. Yes, you do. If you are breathing, you have influence. Somewhere, somehow, to somebody. Some of you may have influence over three people. Some of you have influence over 3,000 people. This is Austin, Texas. I, I get it. You've got a lot of influence. Look at your circles of influence. Look at where you work. Look at your, the people you hang out with. Look at your neighborhood. Anywhere you are that you spend any time, look at your circles of influence. And if you will start to write down who those people are, and you start to ask God, 
Lord, who am I supposed to be an ambassador of reconciliation to? Who might be a believer that I don't know yet that needs to be encouraged? What kind of ministry do you want me to have? It doesn't mean you quit your job and start a full-time ministry, folks. You, you, you already have that mission. Listen, I think it's great, and we've got these flags hanging all over the room, of places that churches go for mission trips. I'm not saying anything against that. I think that's awesome. I think we need to do that. But I want you to understand this, folks. Your life is a mission trip. Some of you would tell the testimony of, man, it's awesome. We take off work one week every two years, and I get to go here and really minister. Great. What about the other 51 weeks of the year? Everywhere you are, God has an intention of you to touch and reach people. Um, I was talking to somebody out in the lobby earlier about my wife. My wife can't go to a coffee shop. She can't go to Walmart. She can't go anywhere without coming home with a testimony. So I'm on the phone with her last night. and And I said, well, what did you do today? She said, well... I went to this coffee shop, and um, and I was sitting there, and um, and this woman started talking to me from the Ukraine, and we began to talk, and and come to find out, she knows our youngest son, and she said, "I have three small children, and I know your son. Tell me, how did he turn out like that? Because I'm raising three young kids, and I want to know. So here we go." Not only is she talking about Jesus to her, but she's talking to her about Christian parenting and what the difference that makes. And all my wife did was go to a coffee shop. But here's what she did. Before she left the coffee shop, Lord, use me today any way you want to use me. And I just want to tell you, the interruptions that God has planned for your life are going to be the stories you're going to take to heaven. That's what that's going to be. And, and, you know, the more God interrupts your life, the more you start realizing they're not even really interruptions. That's where the adventure starts. Today, and we're starting to wrap up here, I want to encourage you. I want to empower you no matter who you are, no matter what your past is, no matter what you think of yourself, no matter what has gone on in your life before. If you know Jesus or you want to know Jesus, I want you to understand that God believes in you. And the reason I know he believes in you is because you are here living life and breathing. And and if you know the Lord, he's placed you here because you're his ambassador. And he's got some things for you to do. And if you'll say yes to him in them, they are going to be incredible. I also want you to think about How much are you allowing God to interrupt your very, very busy life? And do you give him that right? And if you don't, I just want to encourage you to rethink that and make sure he can interrupt. God believes in you, and he's put you where you are, and he's given you influence over some people for him. And I know we can can use influence for all sorts of other things, but he wants you to use your influence for him. Now, We've been talking a lot about individual Christians because I wanted to challenge us all together today. But I want to zoom out, and I want to think about the fact as we close today 
if, if, if a lot of you are already living this lifestyle that I've been talking about today, I know this church and I know that's true, a lot of you. But what if everybody in this body got on board with this ambassador reconciliation thing and started thinking about reaching my workers, co-workers, reaching my neighborhood, reaching all my circles of influence. If everybody got on board with that, let's think about what might happen with that. I want to uh, share with you a story that was in a news feed a few years back. It's a true story. A pastor in St. Louis, Missouri, received a dollar bill in the mail from a woman who wrote this note. My marriage has dissolved. My children don't love me, and I have lost my will to live. Please have someone call me. I have given up all hope. The pastor and his wife called and set a time to meet with the lady. After meeting regularly for several weeks, the woman gave her life to Christ. Finally, after wondering all this time, the pastor said, Ma'am, I have to ask you one important question. Of all the churches in this city, why did you write to our church? And the lady said, I didn't just send a letter to your church. I sent the same letter to 25 churches. You were the only one that responded. You were the only one that responded. Folks, I want you to think about, we we began talking about why are are we here, and we began talking about heaven. The only thing that we are going to take to heaven is relationships. As far as I know, everybody that's ever died, their bank account stays in the bank. Their car stays in the garage, and their house still sits there. Nothing else goes. But when you get to heaven, you're going to know people, as the Scripture tells us. Who's going to be in heaven on your family tree because you let God interrupt your life? You decided to be an ambassador of reconciliation. And you let him interrupt who you are and what's going on in your life and decided, I'm going to make my life about relationships. And I'm going to let those relationships intersect with you, Lord. And you make a difference. Let's pray.